We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time. It's time. for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by Angelica Ong of the Taipei Times. Hello, Gavin. Always good to be here. And Xiaoxing Cheng. Good to be on again, Gavin. And tonight we'll be discussing the locally developed Medigen coronavirus vaccine having been accepted for travel to some countries. Mix and match coronavirus vaccine jabs now beginning. Foreign migrant workers from Indonesia now allowed to return to Taiwan and more Southeast Asian countries to follow. Taiwan's office in Lithuania opening despite Chinese protests. And the first draft of a bill to cover deep fake related news, as well as Kaohsiung winning its bid to host World Pride 2025. But we'll begin with Taiwan being part of the focus of a virtual meeting between US President Joe Biden and China's Xi Jinping this past Monday. The virtual summit lasted three and a half hours and was touted as being the most substantive talk since Biden resumed, assumed office rather in January as both sides are seeking to ease increasing tensions. Now, according to a press release issued by the White House following the meeting, Biden underscored that the US remains committed to the One China policy guided by the Taiwan Relations Act, the three joint communiques and the six assurances. And the White House went on to say that Biden also told his Chinese counterpart that Washington strongly opposes unilateral efforts to change the status quo or undermine peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait. While China's state media reported that she told Biden that Beijing will be compelled to take resolute measures should the separatist forces of Taiwan independence make coercive provocations or even cross the red line. And according to reports from Chinese state media, she said recent cross-strait tensions are due to repeated attempts by the Taiwan authorities to look for US support for their independence agenda, as well as efforts by some Americans to use Taiwan to contain China. And she also reportedly went on to say, and he described such moves as being extremely dangerous, and he said they're like playing with fire, noting also that whoever plays with fire will get burned. Here in Taiwan, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs expressed the government's gratitude towards Biden for directly affirming Washington's commitment to Taiwan and its opposition to Beijing's attempts to change the status quo and cross-strait peace, while a presidential office spokesperson reiterated that the Thai administration's stance that it will continue to uphold the island's sovereignty and safeguard regional peace and security to prevent the status quo from changing, well, that hasn't changed. Now, the day after the meeting, though, Biden appeared to put his foot in his mouth in regards to the Taiwan issue once again, as while speaking with reporters in New Hampshire, the US president touted his virtual meeting with Xi, but also said of the Taiwan issue that it's independent, it makes its own decisions. That comment, needless to say, generated some confusion as some said that it suggested that Taiwan is independent. Biden was then forced to clarify what he meant and he stressed that Washington is not encouraging independence and is not going to change its Taiwan policy at all. And he went on to say that what he meant to say was they have to decide, they, Taiwan, not us. And the US is encouraging that they, meaning Taiwan, do exactly what the Taiwan Act requires. So, Xiao, the virtual meeting didn't really resolve anything on the Taiwan issue between Biden and Xi, as no doubt no one really expected it to. But, of course, um, Biden seems to have got rather confused once again when it comes to how to make public comments concerning Taiwan. Yeah, or is is he confused? I mean, everyone knows when you observe, you know, the U.S. The US China relations or U.S. Taiwan relations that you cannot, you know, um, just look at what's being said um, in official settings, right? Because um, 
in in history, the U.S. always stand by its official policies, which is one China policy, the the six assurances and whatnot. Um, but you have to look, you know, underwater to see what's being done. I mean, because in the past a uh, few years, even before Biden took office, um, the the U.S. Taiwan relations is getting warmer and warmer. Uh, there's high level cabinet uh, officials visits, there's senators visiting Taiwan, and there's uh, a lot of um, movement uh, tour. Um, pushing Taiwan to join more international organizations. So if you look at all that, I mean, it is not hard to see that uh, the, the U.S. is uh, is actually officially dancing around uh, the line of uh, the official U.S. policy. But on the water, I mean, uh, we are seeing a warming of a relationship, relationship between China, uh, Taiwan and the U.S. Angelica, but do you think it's, it's a bit concerning that Joe Biden seems to be a bit, well, he makes a few faux pas when he's talking about the Taiwan issue. Well, I don't think anybody would argue that Joe Biden's strength is being precise in his speech. Um, I totally agree. You should really look at what the U.S. is doing. And I hope that uh, we're not at the place in cross-strait tensions yet where um, what is obviously a verbal gaffe would affect the actual facts on the ground of how things are actually going. What we're seeing is the S-16s are arriving, U.S. lawmakers are visiting, and um, U.S.-Taiwan trade relations are warming up with talks. All that's going in the positive direction for Taiwan. And in terms of um, Biden's gaffes or, you know, saying one thing and then walking it back the next day, I think um, we shouldn't pay it too much attention. I, it's really, really funny how uh, you can go to the newspaper headlines and you'll see that depending on the partisan leanings of the newspaper, they would go with one version versus the other. And, uh, of course, the pan-green newspaper would be like, oh, Biden is pro-Taiwan independence, whereas the pan-blue newspapers are like, oh, yeah, uh, they walk that back. And I, I think it's it's pretty much just noise at this point. And I certainly hope that um, our neighbors to the West are not taking things too seriously either. I mean, did you expect Biden and Xi to come up with some great idea about Taiwan doing their virtual meeting? Or did you just think, oh, it's going to be loggerheads at the end of it still anyway? No, certainly I did not expect anything to be resolved. And I would be very worried if uh, policymaking is... Uh, done in that sort of an environment. Uh, I think uh, proper statescraft needs to be um, aligned in a way that's out of the public eye. And then, of course, they can come together at a public event. But I don't think anybody um, thought that had any expectations for the Xi-Biden meeting other than what happened, which is, uh, I think, a bit of a turning down of the temperature on both sides. Yeah, but, but it's interesting to, you know, Look at the this. I would call it gaff diplomacy, right? Because in the previous administration, uh, Trump took a call from President Tsai, and that has been, you know, criticized to extraordinary uh, extent. Um, and in this administration, you see that um, Biden. Uh, gaffed by by calling Taiwan independent, but then later on correcting it by saying that uh, they should decide. Um, so if you look at uh, this in that context, um, every time when you see the U.S. president opposes unilateral changes on, you know, uh, the, the relations between the Taiwan Strait, um, usually it meant that they oppose, you know, Taiwan's unilateral declaration of independence. But right now, uh, in, in in this context, it may very well be interpreted as opposing uh, unilateral use of force on the Chinese side.
And Xiao, do you think the US and Beijing are itching to talk about the Taiwan issue again soon? Or do you think they'll maybe both sides are looking to put it on the back burner just so it simmers and simmers and simmers and nothing changes? I definitely put it on the on, on back side because, number one, the US is bound by the Taiwan Relations Act. So the US president has no authority to unilaterally change any position on the Taiwan issue. Uh, any Anything, uh, ex, uh, including the, the use of force to defend Taiwan, has to get the Congress approval. So th- that is part of the the purpose of Taiwan's Relations Act is to protect Taiwan against an administration swings uh, in the U.S. government. So uh, in that context, uh, definitely they, they don't want to touch this issue in a prominent way. So they definitely want to resolve this uh, using diplomatic means. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that they have bigger fish to fry. I think uh, the Xi Biden talks was a, a lot about cooperation over the climate. And I'm all for the U.S. and China coming together to help with the climate. And uh, frankly, the back burner is not a bad place to be for Taiwan. Moving on now, the Central Epidemic Command Centre on Monday of this week announced that the locally developed Medigen coronavirus vaccine has been accepted to travel in four countries. Now, the statement came after KMT lawmakers had been claiming that the vaccine had only been accepted by two countries, while the government had initially said that a total of six countries had accepted the Medigen vaccine. Now, according to the Epidemic Command Centre's spokesman, Zhuang Sheng, New Zealand, Palau, Indonesia and Belize are all now allowing travellers who have received the Medigen vaccine to either enter the country or undergo a reduced quarantine period. Israel and Argentina were the two countries removed from the government's original list and the Epidemic Command Centre spokesperson told reporters that the initial inclusion of those two countries had been due to a mistake in the information provided to it by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Meanwhile, the Central Epidemic Command Centre this week opened up mix and match coronavirus vaccine plans. The programme opened today, in fact, and means that those willing to receive a second vaccine jab using a different vaccine brand are after receiving a first dose of the AstraZeneca vaccine are now able to book an appointment online. The mix and match program vaccination shots will be administered this weekend and those eligible are individuals who received their first jab of the AstraZeneca vaccine eight weeks ago or longer and they can now go to a designated hospital that has leftover Moderna or Pfizer-BioNTech doses for their second jab. Health officials say the program covers about 2.25 million people. And also this week, the Central Epidemic Command Centre set out a series of plans to punish people who violate home quarantine regulations under the loosened 10 plus 4 and 7 plus 7 protocols. The loosened quarantine regulations, of course, will be in effect from December the 14th through February the 14th for those returning to Taiwan for the Lunar New Year holiday. And the Central Epidemic Command Centre said that those caught violating the rules will face fines of up to 1 million NT. So, Angelica, where to begin here? Let's begin with the Medigen. If you wish to go to Palau, Indonesia, Belize or New Zealand, they now accept the Medigen vaccine. (laughs) Not it's not big, but it, it's, a, it's a beginning for the Medigen vaccine to get accepted globally. Well, what to say? Um, I think it's a disappointment that the Medigen vaccine have not been accepted in more countries. And to me, it doesn't matter whether it's four countries or six countries that accepted it. The um, broad strokes of the fact of the matter is, if you chose to get Medigen and now you want to leave Taiwan on business, most likely it's not going to be enough. You're now going to have to get quadruple vaxxed because now you have to have two doses of a Moderna or uh, some other approved vaccine before you can travel. And I, I really don't know what are the effects of getting four 
quadruple vaxxed, right? I, nobody's done that study. Um, I, I don't want to do too much second guessing because obviously things were different uh, back when the decision was made to develop this vaccine and uh, push it through. But um, right now it's looking like uh, the Medigen vaccine uh, didn't really move the needle much and our efforts would have been better concentrated on uh, being more proactive in procuring the major vaccines. Yeah, I mean, it really shows that we have come a long way in this pandemic that we are talking about traveling, right? Because before, nobody wants to travel. And when, when like six months ago, when we were getting vaccines, um, we don't think about traveling as a, as a determined factor on which brand of vaccines we, we get, right? Um, but that being said, um, if we are really near the end of, um, you know, I don't want to say the pandemic or the, the very the lockdown period. Um, you, can, you can look in the United States opening up its borders for people who get two shots of vaccines, right? So it, it is time for people to think about, you know, whether my vaccine can get me uh, out of the country. Um, and it, just like Angelica said, uh, it is a disappointment to see that although, you know, Belgium has been approved by Taiwan's authorities, um, it's not accepted around the world. I mean, in that case, people—I mean, like my colleagues—they, um, if they want to do business travel, they they have to get approval for like a missed shot of other brands. Um, and right, and there's no study showing you know the side effects or the if- efficacies of that. So, um, but that being said, I mean, still, it what matters is people get the vaccines into their arms. It's not whether they can travel. I still want to stress the importance that the coverage is still not, you know, up to uh, the, the, the level, that, especially the second shot. So um, still, we want to think about travel, but I don't think that that should be the most important factor in this period of the pandemic. Well, of course, shout that the Central Epidemic Command Center released Israel and Argentina as two countries, but they had to remove them from the government's list because apparently... The mistakes in information were provided by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. I mean, it doesn't say very much, does it? One agency isn't talking to the other one properly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that that happens, right? Because um, in one, you know, one day you might hear that a lot of countries, you know, approve Taiwan's approval of managing, but um, probably they have second thoughts or probably just misinformation. But um, so. Things like this happens. So just like Angelica said, we don't really care whether it's four countries or six countries. Um, most countries are not covered. So if you want to go out, um, you, you better get a BNT or Moderna. And of course, Angelica, the mix and match coronavirus vaccine plan is now underway. But of course, while we could say it's a great thing, we must remember that the mix and match coronavirus vaccine plan is underway because there's not enough vaccines to go round. Well, I don't know if that's actually true. Um, I think they have good stocks of um, all three vaccines. That's what I heard. Um, and that it's a, it's more of a, you can now have a preference. If you had AZ and you prefer Moderna, there's some uh, report that you get a stronger um, immune response if you do mix and match the doses. Um, and again, I, I really want to stress this is not key. Uh, maybe it's because I'm a business reporter. I actually really disagree that Taiwan um, can disregard travel. Taiwan is an export-oriented manufacturing-based economy. And while we've done very well while the world was under lockdown and demand for our laptops and ICD products were sky high, 
Now, in order to maintain our economic um, momentum, especially in the face of a global inflation crisis, we need to have our people on the move. We need to be doing business. We need to be taking our samples to the customers, and to be not able to do that, to shut people out,、um, I think it's going to have a really detrimental effect on where this economy is going. And mix and match, yeah. Do you, do you know anyone that's going to go for the mix and match? Yeah, exactly. Like I said, my my colleague got the first shot as managing.、Um, then he is a,、uh, applying for a certificate of business travel so that he can get a second shot of other brands. So because he, just like Angelica said,、uh, he has in mind that for a date of travel in the near future. So I, I, we've seen people who have such business needs, but but but. Honestly, day to day people, we don't think about travel because not because our vaccines disallow it, but because when we come back, we have to enter into fourteen day quarantine, and that that is something that no one wants to think about. So I think that's the main reason that day to day people in Taiwan will not think about travel at this point of time. And staying with quarantine, there, Xiao. Of course, the ten plus four, which means ten days in quarantine, four days at home, and the seven plus seven, seven days in a quarantine facility, and seven days at home, is set to be introduced in mid-December. Now, of course, apparently forty thousand people are going to return for Lunar New Year. Yeah, obviously, some of these people will have the virus. We can safely say some of these people will have the virus. We don't know how many. But、um, the government's now saying that fines of up to one million NT will be levied on people that violate this rule. I mean, do you think the government will be able to? Do- there are so many people. I think they will be able to do it because they have been doing it for the past, you know, past year. You know, contact tracing people,、uh, monitoring people through their cell phone towers.、Um, so. I will not underestimate the government's resolve in in this, especially when、uh, when they relax the the quarantine rules for the airline pilots and then created a huge huge mess and a huge backlash. So、uh, I'll put my money on the government, you know, being extremely strict this time. Well, I, again, I I totally agree they can do it,、uh, but the question is, what comes next? What comes after?、Um, wh- when are people going to be You know, really, really tired of putting up with quarantine, and、um, I think it's getting to a point where we need to think about how to do this dismount. Right? Look at the sheer scale of travel,、uh, even with perfect、um, contact tracing, whatever government being very vigilant. At some point, you can't keep your country under lockdown forever. Not when the rest of the world has opened up. And staying with the coronavirus news, but talking, taking it to migrant workers, Taiwan has now reopened its borders to Indonesian migrant workers, and the first group of seven arrived on Wednesday of this week after an entry ban was lifted last week. Now, the entry ban on Indonesian migrant workers was put into effect in December of last year in response to a surge in coronavirus cases imported from the country. While a blanket entry ban was imposed on all migrant workers on May the 19th of this year due to the surge in domestic coronavirus cases here. Now, although Indonesia Indonesian migrant workers can now travel to Taiwan for work purposes. Those from Vietnam, the Philippines, and Thailand are still banned. But the Ministry of Labour has said that it's in talks with the governments of those three countries, and Thai migrant workers will likely be allowed to enter the islands soon. While the Philippine representative office here in Taipei has said that it's now actively working to gain entry for its migrant workers into Taiwan. So, of course, Angelica, migrant workers—it's 
big problem for the local workforce because of course there's now there's now a manpower a manpower woman purpose woman power shortage. I think manpower is gender neutral. I am a woman, <laughs> Gavin. You are allowed to say that. <laughs> And uh, yeah, it's it's been a huge huge. Disruption to the economy, not to have migrant workers here, and not just from these countries, because um, I, I work a lot uh, within the offshore wind industry, uh, doing reporting, and I have very good relations uh, with um, not just the you know developers, but also the people who work on the boats. And I've had guys call me saying,、uh, "I'm in the back of a taxi where I have to stay overnight because the Bureau of Energy said I can come up."、Uh, Um, aboard, uh, abroad, uh, sorry, back on land, but uh, the uh, ports bureau said I can't, so now I'm stuck in the back of a taxi overnight.、Um, it's really, really crazy, and、uh, the sooner we get it regularized, the better. And the way I want to think about it is,、um, migrant workers,、uh, no matter which country they're from, and this includes like、um, all the countries in the world.、Uh, The virus doesn't discriminate between your nationality, so therefore, it's really, really weird to me to have a separate set of rules for them.、Um, I, th- I think that it should be if you have if you have a、um, Taiwanese passport, and you can do this. I I, I don't I don't see a reason to、um, say, well, you're from this country, and well, they're coming to work for Taiwan, and you, you're going to shut them out.、Um, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I totally agree with Angelica. I mean, I, I I was a migrant worker in the United States for for some years now, and now I I came back and I see that sometimes in the news the, the migrant worker are being scapegoated as a as a transmission of a virus、uh, into Taiwan. I think that's、uh, extremely unfair because they they follow all protocols and quarantine rules,、um, and sometimes they they. They congregate, right? Because they they, they like to stick with the、uh, their their people, and 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 that that cannot be the reason to blame them for、uh, you know breaking the rules. So, but I I I'm very happy to see that the the, the lockdown is being relaxed right now because I have observed a lot of families、uh, in. Great need of、um, of help, especially in the medical、uh, aspect of trying to helping to take care of their elderly.、Um, so if if this is、uh, the case that the government is opening up, you know, their restrictions for migrant workers,、uh, it is going to ease a lot of families' pain. Now, some other interesting news related to this this week was the government announced the introduction of a health insurance plan for migrant workers who test positive for the coronavirus. Now, according to the Financial Supervisory Commission, it approved a plan that will cover hospitalisation costs within the 30-day period after their arrival in Taiwan if they're infected with the disease. Now, the insurance plan is the first to be specifically designed for new migrant workers, and it was developed by Fubon Insurance ahead of the reopening of the island's borders to such workers. The plan covers up to 500,000 in. Hospitalisation costs for migrant workers who are confirmed as having an imported infection of the coronavirus. So, Angelica, five hundred thousand in teen hospitalisation costs for migrant workers that have the virus when they come in. Does that mean it didn't explain it too well this week? But does that mean every foreigner that comes here, be they a migrant worker, be they Bob that works in the wind energy offshore sector, it costs half a million in teen for their hospitalisation if they have it? Well, I. You're asking an American, so I would say that is a bargain, <laughs> absolute bargain.、Um, I, I think that it's worth it. I think that it, it's it's great that the insurance plan has come online so that we can mitigate that risk and spread it. 
but um, I think it's it's well well worth it to provide that service for people who are coming into Taiwan to make our economies run. You have no idea if you compare that cost um, half a million NT um, to the cost, the hideous hideous cost of an offshore wind vessel idling. Um, because they don't have the proper labor, um, it's 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 absolutely disproportionate, and uh, um, I, I I do believe that that cost seems big to you and I, but when uh, put into contrast with our basic infrastructure or our um, our big companies um, functioning properly, it's, it's absolutely a rounding error. And Xia, it makes you wonder why they didn't do this earlier. Exactly, I mean it's uh, it's better late than never, right? Because because this. Uh Corona or COVID insurance has been available to ordinary Taiwanese. I mean, for some time now. I mean, uh, I have colleagues who who purchase this insurance and that covers against you know missing work and missing income due to coronavirus. Um, so, uh, so I was imagine somebody is gonna you know devise such an insurance plan for migrant workers, and I'm extremely happy to see that's available now. And we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan this week, and Taiwan officially opened its new representative office in the Lithuanian capital of Vilnius this Thursday. The opening of the office comes after Lithuania faced retaliatory sanctions by China against its decision to allow the use of the word Taiwanese in the office's name, with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs stressing that Lithuania allowed its title to include the word Taiwanese despite protests from Beijing and China's recalling of its ambassador from Vilnius and its expelling of the Lithuanian ambassador from Beijing. Now, the Taiwan Taiwanese representative office in Lithuania is going to be headed by Eric Huang, who is apparently currently Taiwan's chief of mission in Latvia. And the foreign ministry says the new office will facilitate bilateral cooperation in various fields, including semiconductors, lasers and fintech. And its opening will charter a new and promising course for bilateral relations between Taiwan and Lithuania. Now, while much of was being touted and spouted about the representative office by the government here in Taiwan, it wasn't all such good news on the diplomatic front this week as Honduras's outgoing president paid a three-day visit to the island. The event was organised to mark the 80th anniversary of diplomatic relations between the two countries. However, it could also mark the last time a Honduran head of state actually visits Taiwan as the country is slated to go to the polls on November the 28th to elect a new president. And one of the leading candidates for that post, Xiomara Castro of the Liberty and Refoundation Party, has vowed to sever diplomatic ties with Taiwan in favour of Beijing if she's elected. So, Xiao, that was the, the, the government touting and spouting the greatness of opening a representative office in Vilnius. Yeah, um, once again, I don't know how many times I've been on your show and we are counting, you know, Taiwan's diplomatic allies and who is breaking ties, who is, um, who is getting on with China. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we are, I personally am kind of tired of this game of counting your allies, right? Because, um, but, but if you look at the bright side, I mean, Lithuania opening up a, a, a a diplomatic office and on the basis that it's recognized in Taiwan. But on the other hand, the Honduras, um, the official diplomatic relationship is with the Republic of China. So apparently if they choose to break it up with one China and getting on with another China, I mean, it's their choice. But uh, to me, I mean, <laughs> people's recognition of Taiwan and our sovereignty and and. and and we as our own, you know, states, it's much important than um, counting on, you know, number of allies. 
And so, Angelica, it could be a trade-off between a representative office in Vilnius and the loss of an entire country being Honduras. I don't think think of it that way at all, Gavin. I think uh, Xiao says we're tired of counting our allies. I said, no, counting out your allies is tremendously important for Taiwan, being in the precarious place it is, internationally speaking. But you have to do the right kind of counting. And what Taiwan has been doing is basically, let's just call it for what it is, checkbook diplomacy. And so you have, you know, countries, far-flung countries, you know, back before we had Chad, you know, just basically um, countries that really have no basis for real friendship with Taiwan, just uh, um, basically uh, selling their allyship to the highest bidder. I don't think that kind of ally is significant for us. Um, it's it's kind of um, pathetic, actually. And I would rather take a Lithuania with just an office there over Honduras uh, <laughs> with full relations any day of the week because they are a true friend. Xiao, do you agree with that? Do you think the government would simply say, oh, we've got an office in Lithuania, um, Beijing, you can have Honduras? Yeah, I am totally agree. And, and I want to stress the clarification that uh, my, you know, against counting of allies is against the counting of official allies with the Republic of China because, you know, the official allies with Republic of China is kind of meaningless because you don't know if they support, you know, the, the, the Taiwan's sovereignty or they just support the remnant of the uh, Republic of China where they established relationships about 80 or even 100 years ago. So, I mean, so far, the, the international support of Taiwan is because of Taiwan's democracy, because of Taiwan's, you know, um, helping the international arena against COVID-19, against um, authoritarian regimes. So it's not because we are uh, a Republic of China where people want to make friends with. And of course, Angelica, um, Taiwan has some strange bed buddies, to, to use a phrase, in Central America, because, of course, Nicaragua is one such country mm-hmm. where the, basically, the, the government in Nicaragua, one could argue, has basically nothing in common with the government in Taipei currently. Absolutely. And that is a kind of relationship that I just don't think count for much. Uh, you know, we're never going to win by buying allies when you're up against it with China's checkbook, right? The only way that Taiwan can find its way in the world is to truly authentically uh, create a space for itself based on who it is. And who we are is we are a bastion for democracy in in Asia. And we're the proof that, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, we can be democratic and prosperous and uh, speak Mandarin <laughs> and Taiwanese and whatever. Um, it's, it's not impossible. And uh, I think that's what makes us threatening more than anything to China. Um, and we should earn the friendship uh, based on who we are and what we're doing for the world. And the Ministry of Justice on Wednesday of this week announced that a draft amendment to the Criminal Code aimed at addressing crimes involving deep fake videos has been sent to the Cabinet for review. The move comes weeks after a local YouTuber was detained as a suspect in a case involving the creating and selling of deep fake pornographic videos that were digitally altered to include the likenesses of some 100 famous politicians and celebrities here. Now, according to the Justice Ministry, discussions have been held involving legal scholars, judges, prosecutors and lawyers 
on the draft amendment. And under the draft bill, the chapter of Offences Against Privacy in the Criminal Code will be renamed to highlight the inclusion of proposed new articles relating to the dissemination of real or fake videos and other digitally created content. The Ministry is also proposing heavier punishments through an amendment to the current Article 315-1. The article currently lists peeping at, eavesdropping on or recording, others non-public activities, speeches, talks or the private part of the body as offences there. Now under the amendment focusing specifically on the use of deep fake technology it will be illegal to produce and distribute pornographic deep fake videos involving other people's sexual activities and justice ministry officials are being cited as saying that could lead to a maximum prison sentence of five years for the production of such material and of up to seven years in the big house for the selling of such material. So of course Xiao you're a bit of a techie dude. Do you think <laughs> It's about time the government did take steps to tackle modern technology, evolving technology where that could be used to, be, to basically be nasty to people. Yeah, I, I think this time around the government is acting very swiftly. I mean, in in acting, you know, some laws against uh, defect videos. Um, and I, I actually have friends who are victims of uh, such uh, defect. Uh, pornographic videos and I do think it's extremely criminal to, to make such videos and distribute it on the internet um, but but if you look at it um, on a higher level this is deep fake videos are part of um, campaign of disinformation that, that has been spreading around on the internet um, and for other purposes they may be used for um, political um, disinformation or any some other uh, local news disinformation so in that regard it's just like uh combating disinformation campaigns it's very needs to be the government needs to be very careful in um safeguarding number one the, the freedom of expression the freedom of press and number two the the, the rights and privacies of, of victims being targeted so if we say the video is not a pornographic video it's just a regular video but it's a defect of someone else speaking something of no importance uh how do you uh number one, criminalize such an, an act or how do you punish such an act without infringing on people's uh, freedom of expression. So it, it is a higher, um, it, it is a larger issue of, uh, um, you know, number one, the internet, being people can say whatever they like anonymously. Um, number two, uh, the, the technology is evolving. So enacting laws is just part of the story and, and number the other one is number two, the educate the population and, you know, against uh, trusting blindly, you know, information you see online and number three is to in, to incorporate the tech community to use uh, um, technology to come back such uh, deep fake videos well basically I couldn't agree more very well said uh, as our technology advances our legal system absolutely have to keep up and this is a trend that's only going to accelerate in the future um, as we start to live more and more online as the tech companies all want us to do enter into the metaverse and uh, the laws have to go there too I I, th I think I like the principle of if it's something that you can't make up about somebody and say which in Taiwan we have quite tight laws against uh, making things up about people then you shouldn't be able to do it in video form through technology because that's what you're doing when you're um, making whatever kind of video and uh, putting somebody's face on it you are lying through video and if it's against the law for you to say such a thing in words, then I believe it's it should be even more heavily punished to do so via technology. But do you think making obviously an explicit or violent video with deep fake technology and basically making a politician sound like the Teletubbies? 
yeah, that that's absolutely a distinction that needs to be made. And I here here's where I feel like my analogy would ca- carry through, because you can absolutely say this guy is a X Y Z, and as long as you're not trying to make a claim um, about um, the reality and making it clear that's your opinion, then you absolutely have the, your freedom to express your opinion. So if you do do a a deep fake, and those apps are quite fun. You know, you can. I've, I've uploaded different people's faces and made them sing <laughs> funny songs. Nobody's gonna take that as me claiming that that's actual footage I have of Elon Musk singing "Potato Town" or whatever. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, I think there's still a pretty clear line. But you know, there's a bit of a fine line, shall? I mean, someone you you could put a picture of someone that you know singing a song basically crucifying a song they could take offense about that and th- literally theoretically take you to court yeah i mean deep fake is just one form of a facial you know technology facial recognition technology in, in artificial intelligence right there's nothing special about it if i open my phone and then play the game of uh, swapping faces with my son that is another form of uh, deep fake uh, <laughs> so maybe in the future that will be banned too but i just i just want to stress that technology is going to advance um but so we cannot use you know today's thinking and and laws to 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 frame you know what 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 behavioral future generation will look like um so this is something lawmakers will be need to be very careful about and before we go this week, Gao Xiong won the rights to host World Pride 2025. According to Gao Xiong Pride, the 10-day event is expected to attract millions of international tourists to Taiwan and the city itself, potentially generating up to 1 billion NT in economic benefits. Gao Xiong won the bid against Washington, D.C. to host the Biennial Festival in a vote by members of the Interpride at its 2021 General Meeting and World Conference. It's the first time the Global Coalition of LGBTQ Pride organisations has voted to hold the event in East Asia. Interpride says the Kaohsiung Festival will create a significant impact to the much-needed awareness of human rights for the LGBTQIA plus community in East Asia while making it easier for more people to participate from surrounding countries and territories. While here in Taiwan, World Pride 2025 founder, that's the Taiwan World Pride 2025 founder, Darian Chen says that it's now the beginning of a four-year journey that he hopes will ignite change in Asia to promote Interpride's mission and to advance human Human rights in the world. So, shout! There we go. Gaoshung's won a big World Pride event, and it's going to attract millions of international tourists and generate one billion NT in economic benefits. That is so great. I mean, it's all great because I, I'm I'm extremely proud of our Pride community uh, because you know I I've been attending the, the Pride parade. I remember since I got back to Taiwan, um, and it just you know blew my mind because I, I used to attend Pride parades in New York City, and it, it is a great event. But but Taiwan is is a, is a good match of such Pride you know parades. So especially coupled with that, is Taiwan's you know um, you know enacting laws of. Marriage equality laws uh, just two years past. I mean, th- this is great. I mean, this, this cements Taiwan's place uh, in the world as being one of the most diverse and open countries in Southeast Asia. Absolutely. I think that it also, uh, first of all, I'm just happy for us, happy for the world that there's more equality and more acceptance, happy for Taiwan. But it also stands in such clear contrast to the uh, LGBTQIA plus community in 
China that has been has seen their rights actually pushed down upon and retracted, and it's a very painful process. And I'm glad that this choice uh, truly puts Taiwan、um, in stark contrast. Yeah, totally agree. So I can't wait for 2025. I'll be there. But do you think? <laughs> obviously, they did. Legalize gay marriage, but of course there were some questions over how far it went. Did it go far enough? I, I think that for the first in the、uh, for the first in Asia,、uh, I think we're doing very well. I'm not sure of the exact legal、um, terms, but I know my neighbor's getting married. So, <laughs>、uh, and、uh, he's South African, and his、uh, uh, husband to be is Taiwanese. And the fact that they can get married means that he can. Uh, have a lot more assurance about his stay in Taiwan because he would no longer be a foreigner. He would be、um, properly Taiwanese, and I think that's 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 what matters.、Um, yeah, to answer Gavin's question,、um, I think it's a very good question. It's definitely not far enough, right? Because、uh, getting married is the first step, and being able to you know have a family or probably adopt、um, a son or daughter is the next step. And Taiwan is still. Needs a lot of room to make up for in that respect, and I think a lot of lawmakers recognize that and, and is working toward that. So、um, we'll never be good enough, right? Because、uh, if you wanted to be progressive, you need to keep moving forward. I think Taiwan is making a real effort to move forward. And of course, this will take place in 2025. So hopefully, the coronavirus will be over by then, and Taiwan will generate up to one billion NT in economic benefits. Knock on wood. I'm always pro-economy. <laughs> Earn that pink dollar. <laughs> <laughs>、yeah. And that's where we、we'll、leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Angelica Ong. Thanks very much, everybody. And Xiao Xing Chen. Good night, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favorite podcast app, where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at nine for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.